Rogers scrambles He's left, winds up, runs the ball. He's got time at the 10 to the 5. Yes. To the end zone. Touchdown. And a dagger. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Gone for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, a podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T-Plush, your host for the show. I am a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy Podcast, where you can find all that we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. As always, I am joined with good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender, who can be found on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is the host of the Packers Trilogy podcast and is here to talk some Brewers baseball with me today, which we are doing a special midweek episode because, hey, there's some news to talk about. Some of it's good and some of it's not so good. So before we get into all that, Trevor... How are you doing today? Because it's been a while since I've talked to you last. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing all right. The Packers, I ugh. I mean, we had went through that terrible game, and then no one really knows this, but Tyler and I recorded like a 35-minute episode about the Packers on this past Sunday, and for some reason my computer decided that it only wanted to record the first four minutes of it. And I didn't realize till we were 35 minutes in. So that was a bit frustrating, but I'm glad we're here to talk about some Brewers baseball. And I'm glad we have some, some news to talk about too. You're recording right now, right? It hasn't stopped yet. Yeah. I mean, as of right now, we are about a minute and 50 seconds in, so (laughs) we're doing good. I I will keep my eye on it, I promise. (laughs) I won't ask halfway through then, so. (laughs) All right, let's get to the bad first. Let's start with Luis Sirius. It got announced earlier this week that he had surgery on his hemate, which is a bone in his hand. Pretty common in baseball players. Typically, you can fracture that bone just from the vibrations of the bat. The biggest name is Giancarlo Stanton went had that surgery, I don't know, 2015, 2016. Most, that's the most recent one I could think of in terms of big-name players. But reality is he is out for six to eight weeks. So if you take his surgery date and go eight weeks out, that brings you until March 24th, which obviously makes him questionable for opening day. So we won't be able to see much, if any, of him in spring training, which kind of lowers the intensity level, I think, of the you know the starting shortstop job at least in the in the short term so I'm kind of disappointed in that but I don't know how big of a deal do you think this is Trevor I mean you said it it impacts in the short term but I I really do not think it has that big of an impact on the overall season obviously you want to get that competition going and try to allow guys to earn their spots and unfortunately he's going to be a step back in that regard but I do think it's not that big of a deal. Obviously, you want him out there. You want all your players out there being healthy throughout a whole season. 
is going to be helpful no matter what sport you're in. I mean, look at the Packers season. They were extremely healthy, and they get to the NFC Championship. So obviously you don't want to see guys hurt, but it's a part of any sport. It's going to happen um, better now than him really in asserting himself, and then we trade Arcia at the deadline, and then he gets hurt in August or September. I'd much rather have it now than at that point in the season. And a lot of questions have been asked like, oh, is you know the six to eight weeks, is that like when he's expected to be back returning full? Yeah, the eight weeks is like he would be ready to resume full baseball duties at eight weeks. So, I mean, say he was ready to resume like playing at, you know, we'll call it six, six and a half weeks. I'd give him about a week of spring training games, give or take, because they kind of wind down towards the middle of March, you know, before opening day. So... I guess the biggest question going into if he's going to be on the opening day roster or not is I think how much time and at bats he gets in that in that week he might have because if he doesn't get a lot and doesn't have enough to get into the groove they might elect to start him at AAA to start the year so that way he can at least get some regular playing time and kind of get his swing down and the timing of things down before they call him up and then it's kind of like a fair fair way to assess him and Arcia when they're both up in the big leagues because you're not you don't have like the handicap of Urias going oh you know I didn't get to swing for most of spring training so Arcia has advantage or you know whatever but I think that's one common question I saw brought up quite a bit regarding the time frame anyway other Brewer news that went on is today the Brewer signed relief pitcher David Phelps to a one-year deal so before we get into the specifics of his contract, I have a trivia question for you, Trevor. Do you remember who hit a game-tying home run off David Phelps this last September from the Brewers organization? It was the game where Christian Yelich hit a walk-off double in the ninth inning after that. Uh, Tyler Austin scored from first base because the ball took a wicked hop off the, I think it was left center wall. But to tie the game up at 2-2, two to two, who hit that home run off David Phelps? Do you remember? Keston. No, it was Yasmani Grandal. <laughs> Damn. I know. So, too soon to bring up Grandal. I know. But David Phelps yeah, was that, start. <laughs> that was hurtful, asshole. <laughs> he did get charged with a blown save that game, and Brewers went on to win, obviously. But I figured if fans were going to remember anything against playing against them formally, that that might be one at bat that you remember. A negative, unfortunately. <laughs> but he didn't have a, a very bad 2019 season. Kind of bounced around between two different teams. Ended up with the Cubs, as I mentioned. And before that... Yeah, before that, he was a Blue Jay. So I think the timing of this deal is really weird because just on Tuesday, the it was announced the Cubs took or signed Jeremy Jeffers to one-year deal, and then on Wednesday today it was announced that we took <laughs> David Phelps. So it was kind of like we just flip-flop players. But contract for him, it's a one-year deal with it a club option for 21, guaranteed 1.25 mil in 2020, can make up to 1.9 with performance-based incentives. The annual value for the 21 club option is 4.5 mil, again with some incentives in there, and then the buyout is 250k after year one. So what are your initial thoughts on this signing? Okay, so initial thoughts. I get the update, and 
honestly, the first thing that popped in my head is who the hell is David Phelps? <laughs> I I had no idea uh, who he was. I mean, there's a lot of baseball players out there. There's a lot of pitchers that if they don't get a lot of recognition, I honestly don't know who they are because I don't pay attention to the whole league. But kind of looking at everything and starting with the contract, I think the contract is pretty genius. I mean, even if he makes everything he can this year, you're still getting him under two mil. So it's a low-risk signing, in my opinion. And even if he makes that two mil, that means he pitched pretty damn well. So it's a bargain at that point. And even if he doesn't pitch well and he makes the minimum 1.25 mil, you can't complain. If he pitches extremely well and you decide to bring him back, I doubt they bring him back at four and a half million but if he pitches extremely well maybe they do and if they don't the buyout is almost nothing in professional sports terms at a quarter mil so I think the the contract makes a ton of sense and I think it's a very smart contract for the Brewers but also gives Phelps an opportunity to prove himself and when looking at the stats you know I was reading through his both his 2019 numbers and his career numbers and everything just screamed average to me. And I didn't know how close I actually was, but when you go and look at the numbers compared to major league averages, so we'll take, let's just look at his career numbers uh, because his 2019 numbers, at least his ERA is a little bit better in 2019. Um, So let's take his career numbers. Career ERA, 3.86. And in 2019, the major league average was 4.5. So he's better in that regard. And and then you go to some other numbers. Let's go to whip. So walks and hits per innings pitched. Uh, Phelps, 1.325 for his career. Last year in the MLB, 1.334. So he's right in the same ballpark as major league average. You look at strikeouts per nine major or excuse me, Phelps overall in his career was 8.5 uh, major league average 8.9. So just everything seems like he's just very average. And if that's what you get for 1.25 or 1.9 million, whatever he ends up making, I think it makes a ton of sense, and like I said before, it seems like a low-risk type of signing, and if you get just kind of average MLB pitcher, I think it it really works out good for the Brewers just to have a solid, steady arm in the bullpen because, as we'll get to later, we're going to talk about the bullpen. I just think having a solid, steady arm in there is going to be very, very important for this bullpen. I'm glad you brought up the average Joe factor of him because – it, it's really spot on. He has never had like one what you consider a terribly down year, which is awesome because it seems like he's pretty dependable on being that average Joe guy then. He did have one very outstanding year in 2016 where he ended with a 2.28 ERA over 86 innings pitched. That was really the first season that he started transitioning full-time into the bullpen, going from that former starter role. So he did make five starts that year, which is why his innings were a little bit higher compared to innings pitched in 2017 at 55 and then 2019 at 34. So little difference there. But 
going back to the contract, we talked about the bonus incentives. I've read on the Twitterverse that one of the main incentives for his performance is games appeared, which seemed kind of strange. I thought maybe it'd be like innings and ERA or something, but I mean, no, it's just it's just games, which makes sense because if you're pitching really well and you want to be one of those seventh or eighth inning guys, which he has been most of his career, that means you're going to get more opportunities and appear in more games because he only appeared in 41 last year and then 2017 who appeared in 54. So not crazy appearance totals for him by that by that mean. And in case you're wondering why I skipped 2018, it's because he had Tommy John in 2018. So did recover from that and pitched well last year. And then the unaverage part of him, I think, comes in his pitch splits. It's He's a really interesting guy. And you look at his repertoire, he threw his cutter last year 28% of the time, curveball 27 four-seam fastball 25%, and the sinker 17%. So he really has those four pitches that he can throw at any time. And, I mean, that kind of goes back to him being a starter. He has an occasional changeup, but you're, you're very rarely going to see that. So his ability to, to mix up his pitches is important for him because, I mean, his fastball sits in the mid-90s, cutters, high 80s, and then that curveball in the low 80s. So he's not going to blow you away with the speed. It's just more off off balance and then movement how he's gonna get you so yeah I I like the signing and I think he it's kind of been like the trend as you're talking about it's kind of raising raising the floor of this bullpen and signing this average Joe guy yeah I, I think that's a good point raising the floor makes a lot that description makes a lot of sense one other thing I did want to mention and something as a pitcher for the Brewers that I think you always have to take into account and that's home run numbers. So you look at his career averages for home runs per nine. He's giving up just under a home run per nine innings um, at 0.9. And if you look at major league averages for that stat, last year it was 1.4, year before it's 1.2, year before that 1.3. So he's lower than the... Uh, MLB averages the past few years in his career numbers and really he's considerably better because if you look back um, 1.4 1.2 1.3 that's the most it's ever been as you should know with the juice balls and all those different things I mean offense selling tickets home runs have gone up considerably the past few years so that that number should make sense and if so then you look back at his numbers his numbers have gone up uh, 2019, he was at 1.3. When you combine both teams that he was on last year, 2017, though he was at 0.8, 2016, 0.6. So hopefully that 1.3 doesn't come back because if he's staying down towards that 0.9, that would be awesome. Because it, since I have been alive, there has been two years where the major league average home runs per nine has been under one. So if he's able to keep his career average, that's going to be huge, especially in Miller Park, which obviously is going to be a challenge in itself. It certainly is. And I mean, some of his better years in terms of the home runs per nine came when he was a Marlin, which I mean, it makes sense. But even with the other teams, it's still relatively low as you're talking about. So I think that's that's a good point to 
to throw in there that he has the ability to limit the home run ball because some of the other guys we've signed in the bullpen this offseason can do the same as well. So let's just kind of take this bullpen here and see how what your current thoughts are. We currently have 16 potential bullpen arms. I mean, that's if you're including like Suter, Burns, Peralta in that number. And, I mean, you're probably going to, what, carry somewhere between 9 and 11 arms with the with the one-man expanded roster this year. So there's a lot of guys who aren't necessarily going to be on the big league club here to start the year. But, I don't know, take, this, take it away, Trevor. What's your thought on how this bullpen is constructed? So I think picking names, I, I just don't feel 100% confident. Obviously, at the top, I feel confident. Obviously, Hader, you know, if Knable's healthy, he's going to be in there. Claudio's going to be in there. You you kind of know those guys are going to be in there. But outside of that, there is just a ton, a ton of questions. When you look at who they have listed in their bullpen arms or potential bullpen arms as of right now, even Claudio, I feel like, is a question in terms of what he's going to be able to do and is he going to be able to get right-handed hitters out because – Maybe Council doesn't or is able to still kind of use him as a lefty specialist because I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler, Council would be able to have him out there for a hitter or two if the if he gets through the inning and then they can take him out, correct? That is correct. So he can still kind of be used as that lefty specialist, and I'm sure Council is going to find a way to use him. I mean, he used him a ton last year, so he I, that's going to continue. But I imagine he is going to see more right-handed hitters against him. So is he going to be able to handle that? Corey Knable, what's he going to have after coming off this injury? Is he going to be that late-season 2018 Corey Knable? Because if that's who we get, that's amazing. But if we get the guy that was struggling earlier in that season, it's – there's questions around him. You know, Bobby Wall, what is he going to be able to do off of injury? Brett Suter, where is he going to be? Is he going to be in the starting rotation? Is he going to be in long relief? What is his role in this bullpen, if any? Um, I believe he should be in the starting rotation. That's just me. Corbin Burns, obviously, I think this is one of the biggest questions in the bullpen. Obviously, we saw how dominant he can be. And Having a full offseason, I'm sure he spent a ton of time in Arizona in the pitching lab. Hopefully, they've been able to help him figure out what was going on, whether it was with his mechanics or just what was going on. Hopefully, we see more of that 96-mile-an-hour cutter that I know I talked about a few times, um, and I know one of our guests came on and talked about it, too, that that pitch could really be an equalizer for him and really make him kind of jump off from where he was uh, in 2018. Because if we get 2018 Corbin Burns with that pitch, watch the fuck out. Freddie Peralta, what, again, just like Brett Suter, what's his role going to be? Do they have him in long relief? Do they have him possibly as a starter if they need to? Where is his role? And I know he had some high leverage situations last year. Is that something that he can do? I just feel like there is question upon question upon question in everyone in this bullpen outside of Josh Hader. And Josh Hader still has questions. You know, is he going to be able to figure out uh, the home run situation? Obviously, Tyler figured that out. Just throw your damn slider. And then keep going down the list. Ray Black, 
Is he going to be able to figure out his control? It's just question after question after question for me. Outside of Josh Hader and now David Phelps, those are about the only two guys that I don't have like a lot of questions about if they're going to be able to compete extremely well and be a very good part of this bullpen. So right now, I don't see a very high floor, even though Phelps helps with that. I see the floor as pretty bad, but I also see the ceiling, if these players can figure it out, I see the ceiling as maybe close to that 2018 bullpen. And uh, to add to your question marks, I mean, other guys we have on here like Diolas Guerra, is his game going to be able to translate well to the major league level? He finished an ERA under two last year in AAA, and that was over quite a substantial amount of innings pitched. Uh, Angel Perdermo had a down year in AAA in terms of ERA-wise, but showed crazy good swing and miss ability. J.P. Feierheisen is a great swing and miss guy. Brings the heat, uh, not quite as much as Ray Black, but definitely has a fast fastball. Mike Morin, who we just signed to a minor league deal, is even going to make the club make out of camp. So yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, where there's lots of uncertainty. But I think bullpen is the area where you can do that. Like, it's easier to acquire and you know ship out and depart and lose bullpen pieces than any other position in baseball I mean a I think because there's a good amount of pitchers and and b there's a lot of relief pitchers who can you know kind of come out of nowhere in one season and they might be on a really bad team say like the Tigers and all of a sudden they're going to be good trade bait for other teams who are contending and looking for someone who's having a great year so I, I get that the floor could be very low given the uncertainty of these lineups but I also think that's okay because the the bullpen can be shifted around a lot easier than uh, other positions in baseball. Is it okay, though? Because this is something I would rather have a low floor or a high floor, low ceiling type of bullpen than what I just laid out with this bullpen. Because I feel like, yeah, you probably can go get a bunch of bullpen arms at the deadline if you need to. But also, I just, with the strengths of this team or the lack thereof, because, again, we don't really know what the starting pitching is going to give us either. If starting pitching was an asset of this team, I think then you can feel a little bit more comfortable with a bullpen like this. But with not knowing what you're going to get out of the starting rotation and if you're going to get quality starts or at least close to it consistently, having a low-floor bullpen that is achieving at that level scares the shit out of me. That's fair. I mean... The other way I look at it, too, is so take like your long relief guys. You have Suter, Burns, Peralta. You ideally take take one of those guys who's having a really good season. And that that's all you need in terms of your bullpen for like, you know, say a starter is struggling and, you know, maybe only goes five or four innings. You can throw this trusted guy out there to eat up some more innings. You know Hayter's going to be good. You hope Knable's going to return to form. So they're your kind of eighth, ninth inning guys. Phelps could kind of fill that role with an eighth inning, eighth inning spots. I mean, and then I mean we've talked about the ceilings of these guys. It's just a matter of you need someone to get hot. And I know last year that didn't really happen on a consistent basis. It was guys rotating around all the time, and it took an acquisition of you know Drew Pomeranz to come in and lock up, lock up another the eighth inning spots. But I mean, you just have to hope that 
what happened last year and all the rotating pieces and nobody really kind of earning that the, these roles doesn't happen again. And and that's what kind of led to the success of the 2018 bullpen. I mean, nobody expected Corbin Burns to come out and be a, a lights-out re- reliever. I mean, so these guys can come out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, I like, I like the excitement factor of it. You just have to wait and see see how they do. I, I personally think, like I said earlier, I think Suter needs to be in the starting rotation. I think that's where he's going to succeed. And what we saw at the end of last year, I think – I don't think it would be a smart decision to have him anywhere else, at least to start the season. If he's not the same guy, you try to figure it out from there. But I think that makes a lot of sense. And like you said, it, in terms of like a high ceiling, I think obviously Hader and you get Knable maybe not back to where he used to be, but reliable and you have Phelps reliable um, and you get two guys to hit. Like if you get, Corbin Burns and Ray Black to hit that could be a very dangerous bullpen because like I said you just have just solid guys in Knable and Phelps if that's all they are and then you have electric arms of Ray Black and Corbin Burns and then you have your all-star superstar closer and Josh Hader that could be a fun kind of combination to watch because I would love to see some of those electric arms really figure it out and be able to contribute at a high level for the Brewers this upcoming season. I obviously agree, and I'm going to say J.P. Feierheisen is my dark horse to, to be one of those lights-out guys, so I'm, I'm really excited nope. to see him pitch. I don't know if he's considered a dark horse, but Corbin Burns is my guy. Corbin Burns is my guy, and he's going to be back to 2018 Corbin Burns. I certainly hope so. And I mean, I guess the good part with Burns is too, if if he's not and he plays like he did last year, he does have options left, so we can just ship him out to AAA and watch him struggle there some more. So, <laughs> hopefully, not the case. New year, hey, new Burns. Shut your mouth. <laughs> shut your mouth. All right. Well, I think that will pretty much do it for us today. The only other thing we didn't mention was that with the signing of David Phelps, someone will have to be DFA'd off the 40-man roster once the signing becomes actually official and he signs the paper in front of the press and all that good jazz. So we'll pay attention to who that is in the next coming days. But until we talk next time, we will see you later, Brewer fans. Justin Stearns.